So um, how many of you guys know who Amanda Eller is? Um, here's a picture of her. Um, she's a yoga instructor. Um, you may have heard about her, but um, she actually was lost in a forest in Hawaii for 16 days. And they just found her, either Friday or just yesterday, and this is what she looked like. Um, well, after 16 days, you wouldn't look too great either, right? I mean, she's very thin. Um, the, her friend said that she was actually able to survive because she found a freshwater waterfall. Now, if you're going to get lost, Hawaii is a good choice, right? But still, 16 days having to rummage for food and stuff, I would think that that would be tough. And, and so this has kind of been a, a story that people have been talking about, I heard about. And, and it's interesting to me because the way that she got found is so interesting. So there was a helicopter going over this, this area. They're looking for her, obviously. And, and she was by the waterfall. And you know what she did, Todd? They saw her because she waved. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that if you're in trouble and you wave, that someone will come and get you. Like, especially if they're looking for you and you're in trouble, right? But how many of you know that when we're in trouble, we typically don't like to wave? Sorry to go there. Like when we're, we're having st a tough time, we like to kind of keep it to ourselves, right? We like to just say, you know what, um, I'm just going to figure it out on my own. I got this. Like I don't need to talk to anybody about it. I don't need to figure it out with anybody. I got this. And, and it kind of reminds me of last week. If you were here, um, it, was, it was a great tie-in to this week, which this idea was that together we can help each other become the people that God intends for us to be. Let me say that again. Together, we can help each other become the people that God intend us, intended us to be. And we looked at this passage in Judges that when we don't think about and we don't relate to each other, when we don't have each other in our lives and we're able to ask that question, what's it like to be on the other side of me when we don't have that, we kind of live like Judges 21, which says, you know what, at that time there was no king. And everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. This is where we can land. And that second line really feels a lot like America today, right? Because everybody just seems to do what they want to do. And, and so today, I, I want us to just review really quickly two relationships that I had talked about last week. The first one was the cop relationship. And if you remember this one, this is basically where, you know, you have great intent. Like you are going to definitely live for Jesus. Like you maybe have chosen to do that. But then things don't go well. You, you just don't maybe live up to what you really thought you were supposed to. You kind of stumble and you fall. And so you go to the cop in that relationship. You go to the cop and you tell him, hey, you know what? I screwed up. And then what does he do? He writes you a ticket. He tells you this is where you broke the law. Writes you a ticket. And then he says, don't do that ever again. And you say, of course, officer. I will never, ever speed again. And then right after that. And so what happens in the cop now? Just to the benefit of, of, of this relationship, the cop relationship is beneficial at times because some of us have been so jacked up at times that we need someone that's going to talk hard to us and say, you know what, you're out of line, you need to get in line. But if that's the only type of relationship or that's the relationship that you stay in, what ends up happening, and some of you have experienced this, maybe, maybe all of us have, is that you end up choosing to hide the things that are wrong and only talking to that person about what you're doing that's right. 
and you start to lie about what is really going on in your life. So the end of the cop relationship, that kind of results in lying. Just remember that. The coach relationship, now that, that one's a little better, like we talked about. That's the one where, you know, you screw up, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I was really trying, and now I, I just I screwed up. I got I to gotta tell you, coach, I, I, I messed up. And, and the coach will come to you, and he'll say, you know what, here's the deal. I got you. I understand what you're doing. You just need to keep your eye on the ball, keep your chin down, and swing through, and you're going to get a line drive, I promise you. And then they, you know, hit you on the butt, and they send you back in the game, Right? And so what you end up doing is say, okay, coach, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try harder. I got this. And so what the coach relationship kind of ends up being is a lot of trying harder. So the cop relationship, um, and by the way, real quick before I go too fast, the coach relationship, we all need those at times, right? It's just that when you only have that, you end up just trying a lot. So the, co the cop ends up with lying. The coach ends up with trying. And today I want to talk um, briefly with you about a third type of relationship that I mentioned last week, but I think is actually the key to transformation in your life, and that is the cardiologist. Now, an author by the name of Michael Cusick is the one who has these three relationships in a book called Surfing for God. If you'd like to check it out, feel free. Um, book has definitely impacted me in a big way. Now, the thing about the cardiologist is this is someone who actually is a heart person, a person that you can actually connect with at a heart level. So I want to do today is I want to look at scripture. And if you have a Bible on your phone or if you'd like one in the back, I would love for you to grab one or to look this up. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18, 19, and 20. And we're just going to read a couple of verses from each. And the reason why I want you to look it up, and here's why, because I've, I've got a reason, is because I want you to know where to go this week. Because I know you're all going to want to dig into this a little bit more this week. And the relationship that we're going to look at quickly today is David and Jonathan. And before we dive into Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, let me pray. Heavenly Father, so many things going on in this room right now. All of our minds are in different places. All of our hearts are in different places. And Lord, we have so many things that we have that we need to, to really care for. And Lord, I pray right now that we would be able to set those things aside and that we would be able to allow your spirit to do a work in us today. And Lord, I pray that we would be open to that. Help us to understand what a transformational relationship looks like for us. In Jesus' name. So 1 Samuel 18, there's basically three different moments in Jonathan and David's life that I want to look at. And in this is first verse 1, it talks about the fact that David and Jonathan are in one spirit. They have this connection. So Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Jesus talked about the, the, the most important of the laws. Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. And here we see a little bit of a reference to that. Where Jonathan loves David, has, is in one spirit with this guy, and loves him as himself. Um, and then we see that there's in verse 3, he makes a covenant with David. And, and you'll see right here, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. There again, it's that reference. What, what's happening here is that there is a, a bond that is developing. So much so that in verse 4, we see that Jonathan actually, he is, he is 
by the way, I should explain if you guys aren't clued in. Jonathan is the prince. He is the son of the king of Israel. He is the son of Saul. And Saul's not an okay guy. Saul doesn't like David. And Saul actually ends up trying to, many times, trying to kill David. And Jonathan is his son. And he's befriending David. So much so that he gives him his robe and his tunic and his sword and his bow and everything. Like, this is like Thor giving somebody his hammer. Like, he just doesn't do that, right? Because you're not worthy anyway. You could never lift it, right? Right? Spoilers. So, Jonathan, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he do this? He's giving all of his identity as royalty to this David guy. He's a shepherd boy. Now, David did just kill Goliath. And so there's something that's happening. So there's, there's something that's happening. I think what we see here is the beginning of a friendship that is a cardiologist friendship. Because there is something that happens. They build this bond. And we see in the next chapter, in, in 1 Samuel 19, in verse 2, this, this cardiologist, this heart relationship kind of comes out a little bit because Jonathan warns David about his dad not being okay. And he says, hey, my father Saul's looking for a chance to kill you, David. Be on your guard tomorrow morning and go into hiding and stay there. And, and so he gives this warning. And then he goes on in verse 4, he goes on to actually speak to Saul, his dad, well. He speaks well of David. He says, listen, um, let not the king do wrong to his servant, David. This is my guy. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has actually benefited you greatly. So David is, uh, Jonathan is making a case for David as his friend. He does not want to see David die. And he's doing that in kind of in a way, he's, he has more allegiance to David than he does to his father, who is the king. This is a strong bond that happens. If you keep going in the next kind of interaction that we see that David and Jonathan have is in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Now you can read the whole story this week, verses 1 through 42. This is amazing what happens. I love this story because it's kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of cool. But here's what happens in verse 1. David is frustrated. He says, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? He's frustrated. He's, he's just like, what have I done? Please explain to me how, what crime I've done and why he's trying to kill me. Do you have someone that you can tell when you're frustrated? Is there anybody in your life that can, you can say, you know what, I'm frustrated? I would say most of us have somebody that we can talk about our frustrations with. Probably at work a lot, right? We just sit around, we talk about how frustrated we're at work. Yeah, that's good. But what we see is that there's also something that David is, is he's suspicious in verse 3. David is suspicious. Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes, Jonathan. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Now, I did a message just a while back about trust versus suspicion. And David has a lot of suspicion here. 
He's like, listen, your dad knows. Your dad knows that I am, that he wants, you do not, yep, he is suspicious. I feel like that's like a paraphrase of that. He is suspicious of Saul. Do you have someone that you can go to and you can say, hey, I'm frustrated? Not only that, I'm suspicious. I'm not so sure things are okay. I'm thinking that the number of people that you can say are, that you're frustrated and that you can actually share something that say that you're suspicious, that that whittles down the number of people you can talk to. But not only that, but we see that in, in verse 3 also, David is afraid. David is afraid. He says, yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Another way that I, I think of this is this is David. He is fearful for his life. There's just one step between me and death. How many of you have someone that you can tell that you're frustrated? How many of you can, be, be, can say, you know what, I'm suspicious? But how many of us can actually say to someone, do we have someone that we can say, hey, guess what? I, I got to tell you, I'm actually afraid. I'm afraid right now. Guys, that's not cool, right? We don't, show, we, don't, we don't show that card, man. We don't tell anyone when we're afraid. We toughen up when we're, when we're freaking out. We, we, we just like it. How many of us have a cardiologist relationship where we're able to tell someone about what's really happening inside of our heart, what's really going on on the inside of us. And what's cool about David and Jonathan is that then they concoct this plan, that they then execute this plan throughout the rest of the chapter. And it's really cool. You should read it. Um, it involves, like, arrows and, like, code words and stuff. And it's, I, I love it. It's really cool. And, and Jonathan saves David's life. And it's interesting to me that our cardiologist relationship is, is one that actually can help us continue to follow God's plan for our life. That we would have a very difficult time being able to follow without that relationship in our life. And, and in some ways, there are some of these relationships that actually can save our lives. And this literally saved David's life. So the cardiologist relationship, let's talk about that for a second. Um, this person that you are able to share this with and be able to talk to, it, it creates a safe place for you to talk about your brokenness. It's not something that we're going to talk about to everybody, but it's some, definitely something that we need to talk about. And we're able to talk about our heart and our inner world. We're able to help, this person can help interpret our story that God's telling inside of us. And, and you know what? It sounds like I'm talking about a counselor. I'm not talking about a counselor. You know what? David and Jonathan, they weren't counselors. Jonathan wasn't a counselor. He was just, you know what, I'm just, I'm just a friend. I'm just going to make sure that we're going to do life together. But this person can help you to, to think about exposing lies and help us to become who God intended us to be. So, so here's kind of what we're moving from into. We're moving from accountability where we um, talk about the 90% of the things that we're doing that's right and that's good and we hide the, the 10%. We're moving from accountability to accessibility, where we give someone access to our heart and what's happening. Um, why is this important? 
It's, it's important because it exposes our hiddenness. You see, it exposes the fact that we're just hiding all the time. It, it allows us to acknowledge that we're broken and we're able to find healing in those moments. It allows us to move away from the hard work of managing sin, which is the worst job known to man, is just managing sin. If I just sin less, I'll be more right with God. And it allows us to stop the treadmill of trying to earn God's favor by trying harder. And it allows us to actually develop our identity and recognize that our desire is for transformation. We want to be changed. We want to be that person that we read about in Scripture. You see, I'm reading a book right now, and and he's talking about the fact that the reason why the church is is not as effective in the world today is because everybody figured it out, and we stopped talking about it. You see, all the diets and the exercise programs and all of that stuff and everything that's out there, that is all producing what everybody in the world wants to change to be different, to transform. And guess who has a corner on that market? Jesus Christ. He's the one that transforms us. And when we realize that that's what we want, what we've done is we've parked that and we said, you know what, did you pray the sinner's prayer? Good. And we all feel like we're good. Guess what? The process of transformation is a lifelong journey. And we don't do it alone. We've got to find a cardiologist for our life and be able to connect. Now, everybody's thinking, all right, well, you know, here's the deal. I want some New Testament, all right? New Testament, David and Jonathan is good. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this. Paul says this. He says, hey, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. He names them. Doesn't do that very often. Only a couple of times when Paul calls people out and says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and we've opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our our affection to you or from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. There is precedent here that Paul is saying, like, you cannot hide. If we're going to do what we're going to do, we have got to be open with each other. We've got to be able to connect this. Now, not only does he say it in chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians, but he also says it in chapter 7. In verses 2 and 3, he literally says this, make room for us in your hearts. Have you made room for someone in your heart? We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. No, I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. This is the David and Jonathan relationship. This is the cardiologist relationship. When we get into these Deep relationships, these transformational relationships, we, this is what Paul's saying, I will live or I'll die for you. This is a big deal. And I think, just like last week we had a question, I think there's a question that we need to ask this. And I think, because here's the how, right? How do we find someone like this? Because there may be, I believe that there's something inside of us that we sense that this is something that we need in our life and we may not have it. So how do you find that cardiologist in your life? Well, I think there's a question that you need to ask, and and you won't necessarily have 100%. We'll talk about that. But here's the question. 
can I trust me with you? Can I trust me, what's going on with me, what's happening inside my heart, what's, what I'm struggling with, not, what I, not with what I struggled with like two weeks ago or a month ago or a year ago, what am I dealing with right now that I'm scared, like I'm a freaking out? Can I say that? And for much of our lives, our families, our friends, our culture, They've answered this question, haven't they? And they've answered it with a resounding no. Because if you share with me what's really going on, guess what? I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm going to make sure that you feel shameful about it or guilty about it. I am going, and they don't even know they're doing it sometimes. Because they flinch when you say it. What do you do to find a cardiologist relationship? Here's what I would recommend. Number one, you pray. You pray and you say, God, I want this type of relationship in my life, but I don't know where to turn. I don't know who I can ask that question of and get a positive, hey, can I trust me with you? Who can say yes to that? And you pray, and then you begin to watch, and you watch for evidence of faithfulness and trustworthiness and somebody who is actually interested in what you have going on and, and interested in your life and isn't just trying to get something from you. And I believe that God will prepare someone and be able to open your eyes to someone that can be. And then you need to do something that is one of the hardest things ever is to step out and to say, can we connect? Can we get coffee? Can we talk? I'm telling you right now, these relationships will transform you, and God has designed this. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus understood, as a relational king, he understood that he would build his ministry on 12 guys. And he knows that you need this, too, so he's not going to leave you hanging. We realize that trustworthy relationships lead to transformation. If we do this work, we will realize that. And we'll realize that transformation is what we truly want. And it's not just about a prayer, but it's about understanding. The whole book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, is all about this. God opposes the proud and he exalts what? The humble. The reason why we won't have a cardiologist relationship in our life and the reason why for many years I never did is because of pride. We just need to be okay. We need to make sure that we are protected. But if we dive into these relationships, we allow God and these select few others to walk into our mess. The beautiful mess that Jesus puts back together. We develop a perspective. Listen, some of us have parts of our story that are just really hard. And we don't want to talk about that stuff. We've been wounded or we've wounded. And we don't want to talk about that stuff. But when we get into a cardiologist relationship, this transformational relationship, we realize that our brokenness, the mess, and all of that is actually the soil that God uses to grow us. 
It's what allows us to find that freedom. And one day, we get to a point when we're known by these select few people where we're able to stand in front of them and say, guess what? I have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. Who do you have in your life that you can say to, I have nothing to prove to you, this is me. I have nothing to lose, this is me. I have nothing to hide, this is me. And when you get into that relationship, that transformational relationship, what can happen is that you find a freedom and you find a connection because you're loved for who you are finally. And God begins to continue his work in you. The band can come up, and, and as they do, um, I think, I think that the question that we can ask ourselves, and that we can ask first, yes, we can ask this of a person and say, you know, Liz, can I trust me with you? We can start with a person. It can be hard, right? But I think sometimes that there's some broken communication between us and God. And I think that the question that we can ask is this. Can I trust me with God? Can I trust me, who I am, all the struggles that I have and what, I'm, what my heart's desire is, can I trust me with God? And I think for some of us, we have been hiding from God himself. We have been bro- felt broken or abandoned by him. We feel like we don't have that type of relationship where we don't really trust God. What did we sing first song? You guys were belting it out. She's so sweet. To what? Trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. God, can I trust me with you? Can I trust me with God? I think that if we have a broken relationship with the Father, it's going to be very difficult to have a solid relationship here. David, um, that slide showed that Psalm 18 is, uh, is part of kind of like David's story is why it was up there. Um, David wrote several psalms while he was running from Saul, running for his life. Psalm 18, Psalm 52, Psalm 53, Psalm 57. And, and in those psalms, you see David cry out to God and he He cries out to him and he puts his faith in God and he is running for his life. I mean, maybe this week you can read the plan that David and Jonathan had in 1 Samuel uh, 20, but you can also read Psalm 18. You can read these and say, okay, I need to do some work here because I'm not so sure that I can trust me. I'm not sure if I can trust who I am, my feelings, my relationships, my health, my finances, all of the things in my life that I have and that I just don't know if I can trust God with that stuff. If you're there today, like that's where you got to start. And guess what the modern day version of the Psalms are? It's the songs that we sing. 
people much smarter than me have been able to write these songs and begin to, to, to describe the type of relationship that we want to have. And I would challenge you in the next few minutes that as we sing these songs, that you would allow these to be your psalms to him, to say, God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. So why don't we all stand? We'll end where we started. You know, I think that basically what I'm saying is that a lot of us are lost and we're realizing it right now. And in the way that you get found, you know, she, Amanda Eller could have just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to hide over here under a rock. And I'm going to make the helicopter find me and the search party find me. I'm going to make it really hard. She didn't do that. She knew she was in trouble. She knew she needed help. So what'd she do? She waved. And sometimes, actually all the time, what we need to do when we feel that, that's the Holy Spirit that's, that's talking to you. When you feel that, what you need to do is you need to wave because God is waiting. I'll give you this slide now. I was going to wait till the end. But here's what happens. Without accessibility, without accessibility, we have no access to God's ability to transform us. If we don't wave and say, I'm here, God. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. You meet me where I am. This is where I'm at. If we don't wave to God and say, this is where I am, come and help me right now. We don't have access to his ability to actually help us and to transform us. And so today I'm pushing you guys, yeah, because I believe that this is actually what you're wanting. You want to change. You want to be different. But you haven't done anything besides pray a prayer. Guess what? The prayer saved you, but what transforms you on an ongoing basis is continuing to pursue Jesus, and we do that together. When we have a couple of people that have, a, have our back and say, man, I am with you. It's okay. I know your story, and I love you more because you told it to me, and we're going to go forward together. I would live or die with you. That's what we want, man. We see it in the movies, and we're like, man, that was a good movie. It's because we see these relationships, and they don't exist in the real world. But second place is going to be a place where they happen. Because I know that this is a place where people are being transformed. And it's because we finally come out of hiding and stop trying to manage our sin and stop trying to try harder and said, I want to live the way that God intended me to live because I am a child of God. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today and this moment, that these will be our psalms, that these will be our songs to you, that we will sing them out. And they may not describe our relationship that it, as it is today, but it is a step of faith, and we are going to sing them and speak them because, Lord God, we want them to be true of us. Before we go into the songs, I want us to... Um, consider that we have communion in the back and available for those of you that are feeling like this is something that you want to observe. You've, you've made a decision. You've said, okay, I'm done. I want to acknowledge it. Then the communion is available back there for you. Because Memorial Day, it is important. And our freedom as a country is important. But your spiritual freedom is going to pay dividends for eternity. So God, as we go into this time of worship, Lord, I pray 
for those of us that have said, I need to step over the line, not the line of faith or, or salvation, but I need to step over the line of transformation, that I am signing up to change on an ongoing daily basis. Lord, and I'm going to see that happen through a connected cardiologist relationship. Lord, hear us as we sing. Can I trust me with you, God? May you be light in dark places this week. May you find the heart doctor. May God open up doors to you, to a person who says to you, you can hear the Holy Spirit. Someone that will partner up and be able to walk this life through the mess with you. bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May he be gracious to you this week as you go. In Jesus' name. Hey, don't miss next week, guys, and uh, we'll see you very soon. Love you.